Our consideration on the back page, uh, our consideration today is from Dennis Prager, from the founder of PragerU, and he writes this about a worldview. With the demise of the biblical religions that have provided the American people with their core values since the country's inception, we are reverting to a pagan worldview. Trees and animals are venerated, while man is simply one more animal in the ecosystem and largely a hindrance and not an asset. And, well, you have a lot of people who believe that. I think that what we are seeing more in the American culture is a lot of pantheism. You know, a lot of this um, um, environmentalism and whatnot, you can call it what you want to call it, but it's cloaked in pantheism. That's all it is. You realize that. You know, and you got the people who are worshiping the environment more than they're worshiping the creator of the environment. And it's just an interesting thing to see. That brings us to our, um, our series again on love, and we wanted to talk about for the next several weeks. We won't be here next Sunday. Uh, Courtney's going to be bringing the message next Sunday. But when we come back on the following Sunday, uh, and then Dan is preaching the Sunday after that, so it's going to be two Sundays. <laughs> the first Sunday in February, we wanted to talk about the accessing of love and how do you access love. Um, and so that's a big thing. So we've been talking about agape love, and so... Somebody wonders, well, why are you spending 24 messages on this or whatever? Because it's a huge subject. You know, we talk about a lot of things, and we never really, in some of these things, like grace, well, we talk about grace indirectly, but we don't spend time to really tell you what it is. We talk about, oh, you should love, but we, do we really spend time telling you what is involved in it? I don't know that we could spend enough. Uh, we probably could go another year talking about it because it's important. And I understand uh, somebody once said that repetition is the mother of all learning. And it is. And it's a responsibility that we have as pastor teachers to keep the, f- the facts before you. That is our responsibility to love each other. I found this at a garage sale. I paid a dollar for it. <laughs> But I thought this is neat. This will fit into the message. Love binds us together in perfect unity. In Colossians. And so, I don't know, in a lot of other places, in sports teams, in corporations, they constantly put before you what the object is. And and with good reason. Because you want people to understand what are we doing? What are we trying to accomplish? And anything that we are trying to accomplish or do within the scope of the church, it cannot be done if there's not agape love among the brethren. It really can't be done. So Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians 13, and he says, Do I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge? If I have not love, I've become as what? A sounding brass, a tinkling cymbal. You're just making noise. And so what is happening today is that the church has gone forward with an agenda. And, and you have people who are talking about, oh, the church is doing this and we're out doing all of this. And, and oh, we're accomplishing this and that. And yet, where's the agape love? You can do all kinds of things. And there's all kinds of churches doing all kinds of things. But you know what? God's going to be the judge of it. He's going, to want, he's going to be the one that judges, why did you do that? What was your motivation for doing that? And was it according to the standard that I laid out? 
And as I've said, I've been in a lot of churches. My father pastored for 43 years. I've been, I think I was in church when, my di- when I was in diapers. And I've seen a lot of things. It would be great as I go out on the other side of this to see people who are directing agape love. Do you know that's what we're supposed to be about? I mean, and what you'll see is people will say, oh no, we've got to go and win the loss. To heck with agape loving. We got to get the thing, we got to get the work done. Well, you know what? The work without there being agape love is pointless. Whatever it is that you think that you're doing for God, and if it's void of agape love, it's pointless. It's pointless. Whatever it is. And what is happening is that people are substituting things and doing things for what we're supposed to be doing. Loving one another. And they hide behind these things. I'm a great pastor and don't you know that I've preached all over this country and don't you know that a lot of people listen to me? Are you directing an agape love? If not, it's pointless. It doesn't matter what you are doing. If it's void of love, it is pointless. Pointless. You just can't say it enough. Because we have this construct that has been created in Christianity where people are doing all of these things and they're just things. They don't care about the people. They don't care about each other. And anything that is done outside of that is just absolutely pointless. So we've tried to tell you what love is, what it looks like. The commandment that we've been given to do it, how do we do it? How do we access that love? I told you it's something that we can't do out of our flesh. It's something that we have to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to produce in our lives. And if we're not spiritual, I don't care. I've just, I've seen it. I'm telling you personally. Maybe you might be able to do it when you're carnal. Maybe not. I'm telling you, I can't love when I'm carnal. Forget it. It ain't happening. I'm just, I just can't dial it up today. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Uh, and I've tried it. And maybe you could try it. Maybe you make a better run at it. <laughs> but if you're carnal, forget it. You're not going to love somebody. When you think about what agape love is and the fact that it's sacrificing on behalf of another individual and that you're taking yourself out of it and you're giving that individual what they need and that it's totally void of what they're doing to you. And here's your people say, oh, you don't understand what they're doing to me. What did you just say to me? What? Well, that's what gets me, right? You just said, what? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Everything's off the table. Well, when you're carnal, that's what happens. I can easily dispense with love when I'm not in the right mindset. I don't have the ability to do it. But when you are able to live in your position and allow the Holy Spirit to do it, you can do it every single time. And it's not really based upon what is happening on the outside. It's not based upon what people are doing to you or not doing to you. It's based upon God providing you the ability to do it. And that's what we'll see over the next several weeks. 
How do you access love? By means of the Spirit. And we'll see it. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful that as believers we can access this love that we have as a result of the son, your Son indwelling us, that that life can be seen out as we allow the Holy Spirit to produce it. We're thankful that as believers we can produce it among each other. And as, as we do so, that we're able to glorify you. And we're thankful for that potential. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So we want to look at first as love is one of nine parts of the fruit of the Spirit. It's one, we've talked about it just a little bit, but I wanted to see it in context with these other parts of the fruit. If you turn over to Galatians, the fifth chapter. Galatians chapter 5. And it's really interesting as you see these all in context. Um, I did have a chart and I didn't bring it with me uh, today, but uh, you'll see that when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, it can be broken up into three different sections. And so you have fruit that stabilizes the believer. And this is why I believe that there's everything that we need as believers. We have everything that we need. And people say, oh, I don't know, there's so many things happening, I can't, I can't keep my bearings. Oh, yeah, you can do it. Well, maybe you can't do it, but the Holy Spirit can help you to do it. Uh, and then, so there's the fruit of the Spirit that stabilizes the believer. There's a fruit of the Spirit that helps the believer to maintain his focus. And there's fruit from the Spirit that helps the believer to deal with other people. And love is one of those. You and I have everything we need. We have it all. We have it all. There's nobody can ever say, and this is why I don't want to, I don't give people an out to say, oh, I'm just a baby Christian. Don't say that. That ain't true. That's not true. There's no baby Christians. No such thing as a baby Christian. Not at all. When you see babes used in scripture, it is not used positively concerning believers. It's always used negatively. Now, there is one in 1 Peter, right? Or I think it's 2 Peter where it says, as newborn babes. Again, there's that simile. There you go, John. Um, John, you can use that one as your first like word. <laughs> like newborn babes. He didn't say you are newborn babes. He says, like a newborn babe, crave the meat of, of the word. He doesn't call believers. You can become a believer today, believe in the facts of the gospel, and you can accelerate and mature at a level right there with people who've been in believers for years. There's no, no thing of saying, oh, oh, this is a time frame. Oh, I've got to wait. Oh, no, no, I've got to catch up with this person. These people are stalwarts in the faith, and they've been around for a long time. Well, some of those stalwarts of the faith have been around for a long time, and they still haven't directed agape love. It doesn't matter how long you've been around. It doesn't matter. What matters is you allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work in your life. That's the only thing that is constraining us as believers is allowing it to happen. And so notice in Galatians, the fifth chapter, we'll start off because you're going to see this. Now, notice in these churches in Galatia, these believers had started off on a good foot. You know, Paul says he starts off in the first chapter and he says that you left, 
Let me show you this, and because I, I want to clarify this so that you don't get confused here about what he's talking about. These believers had started off on the right foot, and I believe they were living by grace. And they left from living by grace and started living, trying to live by some law. And as a result of that, they lost the ability to be able to relate to each other in the right way. Notice here in Galatians chapter 1 what he says in verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that calls you unto the grace of Christ and to another gospel. Now, this another gospel, and I have told people this before, this word gospel is, um, it's a good news. Now, this good news here is not talking about the good news of, of present tense salvation. Now, if you say that this gospel that he's talking about here is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, what you are going to be advocating is you can lose your salvation, right? Because notice what he says here. Which, he says, you are removed from it. And notice he says, verse 7, which is not another gospel, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel concerning the Christ. This is not talking about the gospel of initial salvation. He's talking about a good news about how you live by grace. That's what he's talking about. That's what they left. They left it. You can go over to the fifth chapter and he talks about the fact you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? And so these believers at a point in time were living as spiritual believers and they got tripped up and started living by law. And this is why you see he says, it says some of the things. Notice in chapter three, he warns them that it's not by law. Or, or, you know, notice in chapter two, some of the things that he says here, and this is going to be germane to where we're going he says, um, verse 20, I am crucified together with Christ. Nevertheless, did I say Galatians 2.20? Okay. Uh, my mind, sometimes I don't remember. <laughs> I'm crucified together with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I live, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not uh, frustrate or really set aside, disannul, violate the grace from God. For if righteousness came, uh, righteousness, uh, really, uh, you said italicized word there come, but we'll, we'll go ahead and translate it that way. If righteousness come by, now this is really important. Notice he says the law. Oh, no, there's not an article there. Now, why is that important? If righteousness came by any law, right? You and I set up our own rules for living, our own laws. And we pat ourselves, somebody says, like little Jack Horner. Do they talk, teach that in grade school anymore? Uh, not anymore? Oh, that's, what a tragedy. You know, little Jack Horner, always, he was fascinating to me. You know, sat in the corner, put his thumb in the pie, and pulled it out and said, oh, what a good boy am I. <laughs> right? And that's what a lot of believers are like. They do these little things, oh, what a good boy I am. What a good girl I am. Look at what I've done. I gave that person some money. I did this good deed. And they just pat themselves on the back so much they got calluses on their back. 
so much patent going on, right? And so he says, if righteousness came by any law, Christ died without a point. He died in vain. He wasted his time. It's not by law. And notice in the third chapter, he goes on to say, verse 10, For as many as are under the works of law are under a, the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by, law, by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live, and I would say go on living, out from faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live by them. And so you had these believers, they were living as spiritual believers. Uh, they had understood what agape love was at some point in time, but they went away from it. They stopped living by grace and the trouble started. They're trying to justify themselves to other people how righteous they are. Once you feel like that you have to show people how righteous you are, it really is proof that you're living under some, you have put yourself under some kind of law. You really have. How much of that happens in the church today? How many people can't be themselves because they're scared about what other people think about them? And all they're doing is playing a part. They come and they play a role. And I think in doing so, they're putting themselves under a law. Do you know that you're justified? God's already justified you. All you have to do is just live in the promises that God has given to you. And you will sh show forth who you are to other people. You don't have to justify yourself to other men. And so what happened here? Look at Galatians, the fifth chapter. Um, and so he says in verse one, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where Christ has made us free. Be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ is prophet, is prophet you nothing. For I testify to every man, again, to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. And you have people who say that they observe the Ten Commandments. And this is the most silliest of it all. These people who say that they observe the Ten Commandments and that we're under the Ten Commandments. Can I say to these people who want to put the Ten Commandments up on the courthouses all around the court, you can put the Ten Commandments up everywhere you want to. But you know what the sin nature does? It, that ain't going to help the sin nature. Do you realize that? Well, it's over back in the when We had to, the Ten Commandments up in the courthouses all over the country. Uh, the country was a better country. Outwardly it was. But what we're finding now is that behind the doors, right, what was going on? There was quite a bit of tomfoolery going on that we're now beginning to find out. Because the law cannot cause you to overcome your sin nature. It just can't. And he says, verse 4, Christ has become of no effect to you, whosoever are justified by law, you have fallen from grace. You have fallen from, and really, again, 
He doesn't use an article here. This is huge. This is huge. Why? Because he moves it just from the Ten Commandments. He, remo- he puts it in the area or the arena of any law. Any kind of law that you try to use to justify yourself, you have fallen from grace. Boy, I didn't expect to get that kind of response. <laughs> that, was, that was kind of like uh, the message that they said that uh, um, the guy that preached about the sinners in the hands of an angry God. I think he got those kind of responses. <laughs> You have fallen from grace uh, if you try to justify yourself by any kind of law. And so notice he says, uh, he goes on to say that for we through the spirit wait for hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith, which really is energized by love. You did run well. Who did hinder you? To, that you should not obey the truth. This persuasion comes not from him that calls you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you be none otherwise minded, but he that troubles you shall bear his judgment whoever he, uh, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach unto you circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross cease. I would that they uh, were cut off even which trouble you. For brethren, we have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion for the flesh, but by means of love, serve one another as slaves. And so he is talking to these believers about the importance of being a servant. I mean, this is a word that is particularly in the American culture today. Uh, You just use the word slave. Nobody likes it. People just despise that word today. I ain't nobody's slave. You're not making me a slave. Right? People despise it. And yet, nobody can make you a slave. If you're spiritual, you will submit yourself to be a servant to other believers. Nobody can make you that. They really can't. And so notice, he says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another and take, uh, take heed that you be not consumed of another. This I say then. Now, how do you do it? And we're going to look at this word for peripateo, which is to walk. Not today, but in the coming weeks. Walk by means of the spirit. That the Holy Spirit is the instrument. He's the one that it causes you to be able to walk or to take steps. And notice he gives a promise from this. That if you walk by means of the Spirit, uh, that uh, you will in no way, no wise, no how. How do you do it, Quinny? Not even once, I think is how you would say that. With the double negative and the way that it's used there. There is a promise. You will never fulfill the lust of the flesh. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? What stops believers from agape loving each other? The selfishness that comes from the sin nature. In which all I'm consumed about is me. And what's in my best interest 
And so he says, for the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you are not able to do the things that you desire. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under, again, there it is again, you're not under any quality of law. Why? These people who, you have these people, these reform guys who think that righteousness only comes from law. They don't believe that righteousness can come from anything but law, you see. But if you, uh, and you look back at Titus, it says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. And what does it do? What does grace do? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live what? Soberly, righteously, and godly. Law doesn't teach you how to live righteous in this dispensation. Grace does. There was a righteousness under law. But what did Paul say in Romans 3? But now there's a righteousness from God by faith. Grace teaches you how to act righteous. And so notice he goes on and he says, um, and then he talks about the works of the flesh. And we want to get down to verse 24, 22. He says, but the fruit of the spirit. And notice it's singular. And so it's not many different fruits, but it's one fruit with nine different parts. The fruit from the spirit is joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. In other words, there is no law that you could come up with that could produce this kind of behavior, this kind of life. There's no rule you can come up with that's going to produce this. Only the Holy Spirit's going to produce it in you. And so notice this, this fruit is divided into several parts. And I've told you that the, you have the fruit that is, uh, uh, and we'll start here with the stabilizing part of the fruit. And you have the fruit of, of uh, joy. Now joy is, and Courtney talked about it this morning, it's not, um, a lot of people misunderstand this and they think joy is just being happy. And that you have to be laughing. And you go to in some of these churches and, and they just think that, oh, I have to laugh no matter what's going on. You know, my family member just died. Ha, 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 ha. I have joy. No, that's foolishness. Because you can have grieve and still have joy. You understand that, right? You can grieve and still have joy. And so joy is a mental contentment with circumstances that is absent from resentment or bitterness in the circumstance. And so you're not resentful. You see the situation as coming from God. And it's, you could be in a pressure situation and yet you're OK with it. You're not bitter about it. You're not saying, oh, God, why did you do this? Oh, God, this is, you need to stop this. Well, you see it in, look at, this is one of the interesting places where you see it happens, Acts 20. Now, I think Paul was being a, a bit um, optimistic here, and obviously we don't believe that he should have done this, but it's interesting what he said here in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24 when he was talking about going into Jerusalem. One of the things he, words he did use, and I think it's really interesting in, in the context of using this, is he used the word joy. 
And he talked about the fact that there is a word, in, in our, and we've dealt with this before, this idea of course. And it looks at the fact that every believer, God has a, a direction for every believer. Every one of us, God has good works that he wants us to accomplish while we're in this body. And so we're not aimless. There is no believer who should ask the question, what is my purpose? What is the meaning of life? I hope you're not pondering that today. Only crazy people are doing that today. I want you to know. <laughs> Believers shouldn't do that today. And so notice what Paul says here in Acts chapter 20. They, he had told them that he was going into Jerusalem. And notice he says um, in verse um, 20, we'll pick it up at verse 20. He says, and now I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me, save that the Holy Spirit witnesses in every city that bonds and afflictions await me or abide me. Uh, abide, uh, me. Notice what he says in verse 24. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life as dear unto myself. Now, I, I do think Paul was being a little bit um, um, presumptuous here in some of the things that he was saying. But it doesn't distract from the words that he used here. This word dear is to be, um, to be honorable. I don't count my life as honorable to myself. Do you know that you're trained in the American culture to do that today? You're trained in the American culture that this whole life, it's about you. It's about the individual. From the time that you're knee high to a tadpole, as they used to say. You're taught that that's the case. And so notice he says here, so that I might finish my course with joy. And he's looking at these various circumstances that he would be encountering in life. And notice these pressures. And no matter what would happen in the course of that, what he wanted to do is be able to have joy manifested throughout whatever the, con the, the consequences or the situation was that he would face um, as he went through accomplishing what God wanted him to accomplish. And so you have this word for joy, and I gave you some other different um, things there, uh, context there. But one of the things you see that is contrasted with, and, you, and it's interesting to see, is that you see joy is contrasted with grief, uh, mentally, to, to have mental or spiritual sorrows or gloom or groanings, and it's used that way in, in contrast with some of those words. Um, now, I do think that you could have grief and be appreciative of the fact that, hey, God's in control of this circumstance where my loved one died or, or whatever. Uh, but it's, it's a mental stability and an appreciation uh, in the situation. Let me give you one other scripture that I think is probably important here is James chapter one. <clears throat> In James chapter 1, uh, until notice in verse uh, 2, James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you, whenever you happen to fall into various 
trials, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh or produces uh, patience. And so this, uh, to consider it joy when the believer is in trials. And so you have different trials that the believer can go through. And joy is something that is used in the midst of that. Then you have peace. Peace is a mind that is clear and focused and void of anxiety or restlessness. And so the believer can have peace, and that's the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces it in the life of the believer. Um, one of the, um, notice in uh, Philippians 4, as an example. In Philippians chapter 4, notice in verse <clears throat> Six, And so you see it as contrasted with anxiety or anxiousness. Well, they don't call it anxiousness today in our society. They don't call it anxiousness. They've got all kinds of terms now for anxiety. And, um, and, and so they tell you, oh, this, it's this, it's that. And so they've got all of these psychological terms now for anxiety. But notice what anxiety is. It's the word mariazzo. And it's a, to have a divided mind. And so... They call it today, panic attack. Oh, I had a panic attack, right? You know, I don't believe in, in using psychological terms. I don't know about that. I had psychology classes, and I thought they were all nuts. I thought Freud was nut. I thought that some of the teachers of the teachings are nuts. I think they're all nuts. But I do know scriptural terms. Scripture says here that a divided mind is that you could be at a point, oh, what am I going to do? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? That that's anxiety. And notice what scripture says about this. Be anxious for not one thing. Now how do I counter anxiety? But by prayer and supplication, and I would say after thanksgiving, Again, it goes back to being spiritual. Because you're not going to be thankful if you're not spiritual. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace from God that passes all understandings shall keep, or really the garrison, your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Now, the believer can have the peace that comes from God. What has struck me today is that the world system has all of these answers for peace. And what I've noticed about them is that every answer they have is medication. I've noticed that. Do you know that they don't have a solution for you to have peace that is void of that? God's given it to you for free. You don't, need any money. You don't have to spend any money on it. Be spirit-filled. And so you, you find this in Scripture. Now notice also faith. Now I really begin believe that these parts of the fruit, as you see them, they have an ability to stabilize the believer. Well, what is going to be destabilizing? You see a lot of people today who are anxious to the hilt. Their anxiety is overwhelming them. 
And so faith, faith is taking God at his word, believing in that which is not seen based upon reliance upon the promises of God. And so you could see, for example, that faith is the opposite of doubting. Look at Romans 4 and verse 20 as an example. So when I am spiritual, the Holy Spirit is able to fill up what I need in this area of faith when I don't have what I need. Notice in verse um, 4, he talks about Abraham and verse 18, when God told Abraham that he was going to have a child at 99. And notice in verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He didn't doubt. He believed what God said. God said that it was going to happen. And what you see with faith is that there's a promise God makes. The believer is able to trust in that promise that God made. Now, Abraham did it at this one act. You know what's different between the believers here in the Old Testament and those today? Abraham could act by faith. We're going to see you and I can walk by faith. We could, there is more consistency in which we can direct faith than those Old Testament saints ever did. Then you see that there is the fruit of the spirit of believers being able to maintain focus. And so in helping to maintain the believer's focus is meekness. Meekness is an objectivity of mind that keeps one from uh, focus upon accomplishing a particular task in spite of external distractions. And so meekness, now, they say today that people have attention deficit disorders. I don't know. Maybe that's true. Maybe I think I'm getting it because I can't focus as much as I used to. (laughs) But you know what meekness does? Look what meekness does. Look at Galatians, the sixth chapter in verse one. Galatians chapter six in verse one. So when you're dealing with someone who has a who is in a fault. Now, this word fault is actually the word for trespass. And you're dealing with someone and one of the characteristics of somebody who is in a trespass is they justify. They want to make excuses. Oh, you don't understand. I'm getting ready to do this, but you don't understand my circumstances. You don't understand what's happening to me. You don't understand this. You don't. Well, meekness causes the believer who is dealing with someone like that to not lose track of what the issue is. And you're saying, no, this that you're doing is against scripture. Meekness causes someone to keep an objectivity of mind to where they don't lose focus of what they're trying to accomplish in any given situation. And so notice here in Galatians chapter six and verse one, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual. It's interesting. He says that you which are spiritual, because I think that if you're not spiritual, you won't even recognize it. Right. People will come to you and say, oh, I'm getting ready to go rob a bank. You say, oh, whatever. Well, OK. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, everybody's doing that now. <laughs> right? It's a sickness. Right, it's a sickness. Yes, it's a sickness. And you justify it. You'll be right. Well, I understand, man. I understand why you're doing that. But a person who has, is spiritual and they have meekness, they are able to keep an objectivity of mind that no matter what that person is saying, you're coming back to what's true. You're not going to get involved in what they're saying and you get pulled off into this circus that they're in. And so he says, you which are spiritual, restore such a one, how? In a spirit of meekness. And I think also implicit in this is that you can get caught up in it yourself. And dealing with people like this, I mean, your blood pressure can go up yourself, right? You say, okay, I'm done with this person. I'm just so sick of you. <laughs> Before you know it, you're, you're off. Uh, considering thyself, lest I also be tempted. And so you see meekness there, and then you have self-control. Now, this is an interesting part of the fruit of the Spirit because it helps the believer to be able to control his bodily appetites. And this is a huge problem with people. Hopefully, it's not a huge problem with believers. Now, that word um, is actually has the idea of egg crectia, and it, it, it's the, 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 uh, you see it, it's in composition. This egg is itself or inward. And that uh, critia is to be able to grasp your inwards. To be able to say no. But that sin nature is a strong thing. And the appetite to do things, is the drive can just be overbearing. Well, I think a lot of it might even not just come from the sin nature, but some of it, I think, is soulish stuff, right? Where you just can't control yourself. And the inability for the believer to control themselves will make you and render you ineffective in this life. You see? So notice what Paul uses it, and the best place I think to see it is in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. One of my favorite verses here, I don't know if I live up to it, but I like it. <laughs> Notice what Paul says here. He gives this analogy of a believer being in a race. And anyone who is competing in a race, don't you know you have to execute self-control in order to be effective? What runner in a race runs and he doesn't train in order to accomplish the task. What boxer boxes and he gets in the ring and he's just beating the air? Wouldn't that look silly? Notice what he says here, verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? So run that you might obtain. Every man that strives for mastery is there's a word there, temperate. Now, we don't use that word anymore. Anybody ever ask you, are you temperate lately? <laughs> well, they used to have the temperance society. Uh, we're all too young for that, right? We don't really, really remember. That was back in the 20s. And it was interesting with the temperance society, they were against alcohol. And this is how you had to be careful what you asked for. It was the temperance society that talked the government into prohibition because all their husbands were getting drunk. And they wanted this alcohol to stop. 
Well, what did that give way to? Al Capone, all of these other gangsters that took advantage of it. Temperance, self-control. And so notice he says that you exercise temperance or self-control in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run not as one, not as uncertainly or not. The word uncertainly is interesting. It's, it's the ideal of not unclearly. I don't run like one who doesn't have any fixed goals. You see people in life today and they're just floating through life. There's no point to what they're doing. And what will you say? They lived and they died. And they lived a very pointless life. There's no, there's no rhyme or reason as to what they're doing. And so he says, I don't run as one not having any fixed goals. So that I box or I fight not as one that beats the air. But I keep my body and bring it under subjection. Lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself might be a castaway. That word castaway is not that he's going to be unsaved. Really, a better way to translate that, that I might be disapproved. And that's what he's talking about there. And I think that the, he's pointing toward the beam of seed judgment and his idea of self-control. <laughs> and then the last part of the fruit is one that is directed toward others. And notice you have kindness back in Galatians 4. Do you know, and, and as, turn to Romans 2 if you would, <clears throat> Kindness is a part of the fruit of the Spirit in which there's a graciousness that the Holy Spirit provides for you and which you are, um, you are treating people in, in, in a way that they, they might not even deserve. And, and what happens with kindness is that you can actually, it's a temperament that causes other people to be at ease. Right? And so there's kindness that you can demonstrate as a result of being uh, spiritual. And I believe that it, here, you could see it here, that it's not, it's this that is what causes people to be led to the Lord. And so you have a lot of guys out there that are running around today that believe that it's the wrath of God. That if people do not hear about, uh, you've heard Jonathan Edwards, the message I just uh, uh, talked about earlier, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Have you ever read the text of that, that, that sermon? It's, it's a real popular sermon. Courtney had it when he was in uh, English literature in, in high school and brought it home. And, and so this sermon, he preached it and he was talking about hell and all of what's going to happen in hell and how Satan was down in hell and he was going to torture all of those people that came there. And it was so graphic a sermon, it said that the people were screeching and hollering at the prospects of being caught up there. Oh, yeah, right. It's screeching like that. Yes. And, and there are many people who believe that that's how you get people saved. That we're not talking about hell enough. We've got to talk about hell. If we don't talk about hell, people won't get saved. Do you know what scripture says? Notice here in Romans, the second chapter and verse four. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance? And long-suffering, knowing that it is the... See that word goodness there? It's really, it is the kindness of God. 
It is the kindness of God that leads thee to repentance. Do you know it's not the wrath of God? When you look over in Revelation 16, when they are being in the middle of the wrath of God, what do people say? And they know that it's him. They double down. And they shake their fist at him. The wrath of God is not going to change men. It's not going to change him. And then you have long suffering, uh, which is a long holding out of the mind with, which, uh, with people who are uh, trying or difficult. So you have meekness is more dealing, um, uh, is, uh, dealing with people who are in a, uh, an objectivity of mind. Long suffering is a holding out of the mind with people who are trying or difficult. And so uh, you see that notice in First uh, Thessalonians 5.14, it's used of um, um, that it should be toward all men. Now, this is a fruit. You want to do something toward the unsafe man. Here's a fruit that you can use toward the unsafe man. And may I tell you and be honest with you, you're going to need it. When you're dealing with unsafe people, you're going to need this fruit of the spirit. <clears throat> and so notice. Um, now, we exhort the exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble minded, uh, support the weak. And notice it's translated there, be patient toward all men. And it's really, it's macrothemia. It's be long-suffering. Now, I believe in that you can see this uh, use of all men. Notice, again, just one other place where you see it. Look at Titus, the, the third chapter. Uh, <clears throat> and I think this is something that is used toward all men. And I do believe that with unsaved people, when you're in your uh, dealings with unsaved people, you definitely need it. <clears throat> And so notice in um, uh, and I'm sorry, that's not the right word. It's actually it's the word for uh, uh, meekness, uh, being meek toward all men. But let's just stay with the first Thessalonians passage, which is uh, showing long suffering toward all men. And then the last thing that we see there is uh, love. Uh, and so you have that, which is others directed. So you have kindness. You have goodness and you have long suffering, which is directed toward others. Now, I just want to close out the last part of this. And I just want to show you one thing. How do you get there? How do we we are, how are we able to manifest these these various parts of the fruit of the spirit? That's the question. So if we tell you that scripture says that you're supposed to love one another. How? How do we do it? How are we able to get this understanding of what love is into real time? Well, one of the ways that we tried to talk about it earlier in, in the book of Galatians is that it, you cannot manifest it by living by law. And so we'll just close in showing you one other illustration of that. Look, notice, if you would, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, Paul <coughs> had told Timothy to go to Ephesus. And as he went to Ephesus, the problem that they were having there again Everywhere you see this law teaching, what you really see is hypocrisy. Law really teaches people how to be hypocrites. You know, and so maybe the unsaved are right that they say there's a lot of hypocrites in the church because there's a lot of law teaching going on in the churches. And so we're going to see it right here. Paul's going to say that he told Timothy, you go back to Ephesus. Now, notice, and I was talking to Dan about this yesterday. Never say to yourself as a local church that we've arrived. 
And boy, are we a good church. I am scared to death to ever say that. The moment you say that, you're probably on your way down. Some of the best churches that you see in the New Testament fail. We see Ephesus right over here uh, in the book of Revelation. What did it say? They had left their first love, right? What's happening here? This church that Paul taught the decree to in Acts 20, that he wrote this wonderful letter to in the book of Ephesians, were off the beaten path. And what were they doing? They were taking the Old Testament scriptures and teaching them for practice today. Now, we know that because of the word that he uses here. And notice in verse one, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the command of God, our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God, our father and from Jesus Christ, our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still in Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou might charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now that word other doctrine is a combination of two words. It's heteros which is diff a different kind of doctrine. And that, that didascalia, I believe, is Old Testament doctrine. A different kind of Old Testament doctrine. Now, we do know that from the context, I can prove to you that it was Old Testament doctrine because of what he's getting ready to say here. Neither give heed to fables or endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now, I wanted to show you something here. Uh, on the page five, I gave you several different translations of this godly edifying. And, and boy, the King James really messes this up. I mean, they just butcher this translation, and it's not really that at all. But notice some of the translations. In the NIV, it, it translates, promotes controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. Uh, King James says what it says there. Then you have the NAS says, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. That's getting a little closer. And then uh, the Darby says, rather than further God's dispensation, which is in faith. Well, that's really what he's saying. What were they teaching? Old Testament doctrine for practice, rather than this dispensation of God, the one that is by faith. That's what they were doing. This was a doctrinal church. It was one of the churches that, again, go right back and read the book of Ephesians and look at what they knew. Uh, what is that commercial that says past performance does not ensure a future result? Just because you've done it in the past don't mean that you're going to continue to do it. And notice, what, why did we come here? Because of what he says here. It's going to set us up for where we're going forward. Now, the end of this commandment is love out from a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned. Now, see that unfeigned? Have you ever heard anybody use that? Boy, you're unfeigned. We don't use that today. Really, you know what it is? unhypocritical. It's a faith that it's without pretense. What law does, it cannot produce agape love. 
If you're living by law, it cannot produce a agape love. All it's going to produce is a substitute. Really, I think what you end up doing is phileo. A lot of fondness, and this is why when it's not returned, it turns to misheal. Hatred. And this is why you see a lot of the craziness going on in the churches that you see going on today. Love out from a pure heart. That word pure is a clean heart. And that heart, and we'll see, that heart is not going to be able to be cleaned uh, without uh, understanding how Scripture says that you can overcome your sin nature. And a good conscience. Now, we talked about this before. A conscience, and so the word for conscience is that you have a soon idos, together knowledge. And so the idea of conscience is that, you know, how do you operate based upon what you know? We're not under conscience today. Really, your conscience should not be your guide. But if you are living as you're led by the Holy Spirit, you know what it will produce in you? A good conscience. Because what you know and how you live will line up with what's true. Law is not going to produce that. All law is going to do, it's going to defile your conscience because all it's going to continue to say is, look at you. You ain't no good. You're falling short. You're falling short. That's all law can do. It's just point out the obvious. It can never produce in you what you need. Only the Holy Spirit will do it. And so notice... And a faith that is unhypocritical. And so this ideal of a pretense um, that is used. And so notice, we know that this is the case. And we'll pick up here in a couple of weeks, Lord willing, if the rapture doesn't occur. If, if it does, then you can ask the Lord if I were right, was right about this and where we were going with it. You could just talk to him about it. <laughs> and so verse 6, from which... Some have swerved, having turned aside to vain jangling. Notice, and this is what it is with these law teachers. It's just empty talk. They just talk and they say a lot of stuff, but it doesn't add up. Just yapping about stuff that they don't know what they're talking about. And I could see these guys desiring to be teachers of the law. So did I make it up? Didn't I tell you that that's what was happening there? He's telling you this is what they were doing. They were desiring to be law teachers. Notice, and he says, and neither understand they what they say or what they affirm. They say it confidently, right? I've seen some guys who are law teachers who are just legalistic, reformed guys. They're very eloquent. And you listen to them, you think, whoa, what a teacher. And then you examine what they say, and oh, no, they're not. What they're saying, if you follow what that guy says, you're not going to grow. And so notice it says, but we know that the law is good if a man uses it lawful and then he goes into talking about it. And so what we're going to see is that it's only as the believer lives by grace that you're going to be able to walk in love and conduct your life in a way that you can direct agape love among the saints. If you're living by law, you will not have the capacity to do it. You will not have the capacity, and you will be frustrated. You want to do it. Isn't that what Paul says? 
Why do I do the things that I hate? The things that I hate, I keep on doing it. The things that I desire, I don't do it. Well, what did he come to understand? Oh, the wretched man that I am, who shall rescue me from the body of this death? And really, it's a really bad translation there again. He goes on to say grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we're going to see that when we live by grace, it produces in us the ability to love one another. And that makes a huge difference. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to uh, look at these things in your word. And we're just so thankful for the truth of your word. It's just overwhelming sometimes the amount of truth that is there. And yet we just can um, just sit up and, and eat and eat and eat at the trough. And it's just unbelievable how much is there. And we're thankful, Father, that, that you've provided it for us, that it's a, a light uh, that ca- uh, gets us through this dark, dark world. And we're thankful for it, the fact that it brings glory to you when we're able to see things as they really are and to live it. We're thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.